You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. It's good to have you guys here. Uh, We are in week three of our series in the book of Ephesians, uh, talking about our identity, talking about who we are, talking about our reality in Christ, our reality in Christ. Uh, And so if you haven't been here for the first two weeks, really, uh, Ephesians... It's one that some would say some of the great, one of the greatest books ever written in all of history, right? Uh, theologians have given all sorts of descriptors to talk about how incredible it is. And now Thomas is tempting me to <laughs> knock this over. No, um, it is a book that speaks to our new reality. It is a book that speaks to our new identity. It's a book that speaks to how we now are called to live out of that, to our relationships. It's, it's deep. It is deep. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you'll know this because in the first two weeks, we actually spent uh, only, we, we started week one with verse one and two, week three with verse three alone. Uh, and this week, we're going to do like eight, uh, <laughs> how many verses? Like 10. So uh, <laughs> we're just, we're stepping it up a little bit. But because it's such a jam-packed passage, I'm going to focus it on one idea for us here today, this Sunday. And really, it's this identity that you, this, this idea that you are chosen. If you didn't get one of these, we actually have these books. And every single week, uh, we have our big idea. We've kind of got the main concept. We got a, the verse, and we got a place for you to take notes. And if you didn't get one, uh, feel free to use one. It's, it's a way for us to just track all that God has been saying and doing uh, and speaking to us throughout our time in this series. Uh, the book of Ephesians is about formation. Uh, Snag Clawgrass, good name, uh, <laughs> in his commentary, the NIV application commentary, he said that this is about identity formation. Uh, another guy named Clinton Arnold said, Paul wrote this letter to affirm to the Ephesians their new identity in Christ as a means of strengthening them. Uh, another way to describe it is that our union with Christ gives us as human beings a radically new identity. We put off the old self and the old humanity and we put on the new, and we need reminding of our identity, do we not? Man, in in the culture that we live today, I think this is incredibly important. I believe that we are in the midst of an identity crisis, and as a youth pastor for years, I saw this time and time again as I spent time with students. Uh, They they came in, and they're just struggling to find who they were. They've been told that identity is like an onion. They need to just continually keep peeling off the, the layers outside of them to find who they are deep down inside. And sometimes and oftentimes that is a wild goose chase without a goose, right? And it's just this endless pursuit of self. But I believe that the Bible, the Bible actually tells us who we are. The Bible actually gives us an identity that will not fail us. This, the, the, this letter specifically speaks to this new identity that Jesus has given us. And I believe it changes everything. And this is so important for us to realize as we, even as adults, are searching for our identity. Uh, I remember uh, this was the original, like OG, first (laughs) uh, uh, Toy Story movie. 
How many of you guys seen it? Toy Story? Okay, all of you. Perfect. I made some hockey illustrations a couple of weekends ago. It didn't go over that well, right? It was like there was five of us that got it, and they were all like, wow, like, yeah, that's deep. I get it, right? And then the rest of you were like, all right. And so anyways, <laughs> but the very first Toy Story movie, right? Buzz Lightyear. He believes that he is an actual legitimate space ranger, right? Uh, and he thinks that he's actually come and landed on a foreign planet and that, that he, he is Buzz Lightyear, the space ranger. And then he has this uh, rude awakening that he is just a toy, right? You remember he's locked up in that really rude kid's bedroom <laughs> and uh, he's watching the TV and all of a sudden he sees an ad for Buzz Lightyear, the toy. And he has this awakening and he's, he's wrestling with this reality that he wasn't the space ranger that he thought he was, but he was actually just a toy. And Buzz, I'm sorry, and Woody in that moment comes alongside Buzz, right? And he says, he says, hey, Buzz, he says, Buzz, you, 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 you might not be a space ranger, but you look over in that window over there. There's a kid in that house who thinks the world of you, not because you're a space ranger, but because you are a toy, his toy. You belong to him. Who we belong to and who we are matters so, so much in this day and in this age. Who we are and whom we belong to is what I want to remind us of today and what I believe Paul wanted to remind the Ephesians of in our text. And so if you're willing, if you are able, would you please stand in honor of God's word, the most important words you're going to hear today. As we read from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, here's what it says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered us with his kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. Lord, would you speak to us today through this text? God, I, we need to hear from you. In a culture, in a time, in a day where many of us are searching and wondering, who am I? God, I believe through this text you give us a new identity and you speak to us that, that will sustain us, will give us confidence and will not fail us. And so God, I pray that this reality that you are trying to communicate through this text would come into our hearts, through our minds, and it would tra transform and change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> who we are and who we belong to matters. And this text reminds us of this fact. My big idea for you today is this. Uh, you are chosen to be a child of God because of Christ. You, you've been chosen to be a child of God because of Christ. Here's what we see in this, this very opening text. As I shared last week, pen, Paul's pen begins to explode with praise for God. 
Paul's pen, as he's writing this letter, is just going off. It's firework after firework, explosion after explosion of good news, of incredibly good news for you and I, a declaration of who we are in Christ and what this means for us. And uh, this text specifically uh, came, came alive to me, actually, when I was in Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus said this uh, three weeks ago, but I think it's worth saying again. Many people think the Bible is made up, you know, a bunch of made up stories from moralistic ideas about how we're called to live, but it's actually written to real people in real places in a real time and a real setting who are working through things like we are. And I, I was there six years ago. Jessica and I, we went to Turkey. This right here is the ancient city of Ephesus. That's a library. Uh, you can see in other photos as well as you just scroll. This is the ancient library. There's a stadium. This was a real city, a, a major city. This wasn't a book written to some small town, but to a, a city of almost 250,000 people. And we're going to hold on this last image. This text came alive for me. As we were driving up to the ancient city of Ephesus, I was there with a bunch of people from CA. I was actually there. Gord Allen's here today, actually. I was with Gord uh, and, and a number of others. My wife was there. And we rolled up to this, this ancient city, and Mark Francisco pulls over the bus. We're like, we're not even in the city yet. He's hollering at the driver, pull over, right? And so the, the driver pulls over the bus to the side of the road. He takes us out onto the street. We're a little confused about why we're there. And he points in the far distance, just over the hill, you can, you can see a little bit of ruins, maybe a pillar or two. It was this gate, but it was farther away. You could barely see it. And he said, that was the gate to the city of Ephesus. I said, that's really cool. Can we go in <laughs> and look at it, right? He said, no, no, no. It was at the gates of the city that people would bring their garbage. They would bring their trash. they bring the things that they didn't want. It was also at the gates of the city that the people in Ephesus would bring children that were unwanted for various reasons, various and difficult and hard reasons. Some reasons good, some reasons bad, some reasons. Even in the ancient writings, you can see letters where Husbands would be writing their wives, if, you know, if it is a girl, bring her outside the gates. That struck home, especially for me as I have a daughter. People would abandon their children at these gates. And the Christians in that city would go out to the gates each day and they would search through the rubble and they would search through the grounds and they would look for any sign of life. And they would take these children and they bring them into their families. And they would give them their own name. And they would give them a seat at the table. And they would say that they belonged. And that they mattered. And that they had value. And they raised them in their families. And the church in Ephesus actually began to grow and explode because of this very principle. That each day the believers would go out. And they would find these little ones that had been abandoned. And bring them into their family. And now we read this text in light of this story and it brings it to life in a way like you've never heard before as you've read it. He says this, it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, even before he made the world. 
God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. The Ephesians, as they were hearing this, would have known exactly what God had done for them. They would have had living and breathing examples before their eyes of those who were chosen and adopted and brought in and loved into their families. Even before he made the world, the text says, right? Even before he made the world, before there was black holes and blackberries, before there was planets and people, before there was light and little ones, even before he, he made the world, it's like God loved us and he chose us. Meaning God loved us and chose us. And I think of, of those children in Ephesus abandoned, given up on because of their gender or defect or because they were conceived in un, undesirable circumstances. And they read this text and it says, God loved us and he chose us. He, he, he loved us and he chose us to be holy, to be set apart, to be lifted up, not set down. Without fault in his eyes, Many of those children may have had faults in their parents' eyes, but it says the God of the universe, as he looked at them, he saw them without fault in his eyes. This is profound. Profound. Many of those children had fault. They were not set apart. They were not valued. They were not seen for who they are in their parents' eyes. But the God of the universe looks at him and says, you are loved. You are chosen. And he says, he decided in advance before they had done a single thing right. Before they had done that little smile. <laughs> before they had done that, you know, something cute. God decided in advance before they could win him over before they could have that twinkle in, the, the, in their eyes, before they could say to him, Dada. God decided in advance to adopt them into his family. This is what God has done for us. He decided in advance before he'd seen our picture or desirable qualities, before we could charm him or compel him, before you did a single thing right. God decided to make us part of his very own family. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This wasn't out of obligation. This wasn't because he had to. This wasn't because he, he this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And this story brings to life this text for you and I, that this is what God did for us. This is good news for you today. This story is your story or could be your story if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You were chosen to be a child of God because of Christ. And there's a couple reasons why this is absolutely stunning and amazing. The first is this, because you did have fault. And you were, you, you were not blameless. You did deserve the blame. It said we are chosen to be holy without fault. But once again, the Ephesians, as a city and as a people, they had great faults. And they, they, were, they, were, they were very unholy. It was a city that was consumed with, with magic and, and, and focused on the demonic. It was a city where there was a tunnel from the library to the brothel. 
It was a city where people abandoned their kids at the gates. They were a broken people, and yet God, it says, God chose them to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says that while we were still enemies, God saved us through his son. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 describes, it, uh, describes us as that we were by nature and choice children of wrath. Romans 3.10 tells us that no one chooses God, no, not one, not a single one. We were far from God, we opposed God, we didn't choose him, we willingly sinned against him. Sin is just a word that means that we miss the mark. And we all miss the mark from time to time. We have transgressed. Transgression is a word that means when we know that there's a line, a moral line, a moral code, and we willingly choose to step over it. And although this is true about us, your personal sin and brokenness, the skeletons in your closet, your moments of greatest shame, I want you to know right now, you're, and even, even God knowing all of that, he chose you. He chose you. He chose you and adopted you and brought you into a family. And this is what he wanted to do and it brought him great pleasure. Great pleasure, this text says. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a Christian thinker, pastor, one of the greatest preachers of all times. Here's what he said. Can we put the quote up? He says, a man when he adopts a child is moved thereto by its extraordinary beauty or at other times by its intelligent manners or winning disposition. But beloved, when God passed by the field in which we were lying, he saw no tears in our eyes till he put them there himself. He saw no, cons uh, he said, he saw no, uh, I think the word is actually, he saw no, you know, repentance in us until he had given us repentance and there was no beauty in us that he could he could that could induce him to adopt us but here's what it says but God said sinful thou thou art thou art pleasant to my eyes through my son Jesus unworthy thou art yet I cover thee with his robe and in your brother's garments I accept thee and taking us all unholy and unclean just as we were he took us to be his children his forever. And this is what he wanted to do. And it brought him great pleasure, this text tells us. You want to know what's even more amazing about this, this new reality we have in light of our reality of who we are? Is that God has no need for other sons and daughters. God has no need for other sons and daughters. In the Roman world, the only reason why one would adopt in that time is if they needed an heir to their estate. If a wealthy man had no sons of his own or, or if the relationship with his son was broken, he would select one of his trusted servants and adopt him as an heir. Could you imagine that? You, you're just a servant to uh, some rich man and suddenly overnight, you become an heir to everything that he owns and everything that he has, and you're treated as a son. You see, God had no need for a son or an heir as they would have seen it in that day because he had his one and only perfect son, Jesus Christ. But he saw that we needed a father even though he did not need a son. 
God, in his great love for us, chose us and adopted us even when he, he truly had no need for us. He was perfectly content in himself. And as Daryl Johnson says it this way, out of sheer grace, the father decides to make other sons and daughters and to bring them into the deal with his beloved son. J.I. Packer, in his famous book, Knowing God, said it this way, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. He says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater, is even greater. God, because of Christ as your father, you get to call him dad. And it hasn't always been this way. In the Old Testament, whenever it would speak to God being a father, it was often distant and removed. It was the father of Israel. It was the father of a nation. But there wasn't this personal father-son, father-daughter relationship between us and the God of the universe. But something changes radically in the New Testament. It goes from 14 times just being mentioned very briefly in the Old Testament to 60 plus times talking about the fact that God is our father and we are his sons and daughters, that we are children of God, that we get to have a relationship with the living God. And and Jesus often would refer to God as his father. And because you are in him, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And we get to have the same relationship with God the father as he did. Jesus describes him as Abba father. Abba was the equivalent of saying dada, dada. One of the most profound moments of my life is when I became a father. But one of the greatest joys for me was when I realized, when, when my daughter realized that I was her dad. And she looked up at me and she said, dada. It was her first word. I was blown away. We get to have this kind of relationship with the living God of the universe because you were chosen. You are a child of God because of Christ. We get to have this kind of relationship, this vertical relationship, this horizontal. You you might be God, but you chose me and you adopted me and you brought me into your family and you gave me a new reality and a new identity that wasn't based off anything that I had done. It wasn't because of the things that I had done right, but God, you decided in advance and brought me into your family. This is what you wanted to do. And it brought you great pleasure that I would look at you and wouldn't have a deistic, removed relationship with you, God, but you would be Father God. You would be Dad. You would be my Father in heaven. You could be the the God who I would go to and talk about my problems and my situation and my needs and you would care. That quote strikes me with J.I. Packer. He says that adoption is the highest privilege, the highest privilege that the gospel affords. He says to be justified, to be justified by God is an incredible thing, but to be cared and loved by God as Father is an absolutely incredible reality that you and I get to have. And one of the last reasons that makes this reality that we are chosen in children of God absolutely mind-boggling is what it would cost him to do this. Is what it would cost him to do this in verse 7. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he has poured out on us 
just poured upon us and grace is an undeserved gift who belonged to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us in his kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. See, this wasn't God just simply being charitable to us. It wasn't just adding to his grocery bill. It wasn't just adding something to his itinerary. This cost him something, something very great. His one and only son. This text says that, that, that he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with, his, with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. See, adoption, it cost him something. And the way it cost us something today and the cost to bring us into the family, the cost to call you daughter, the cost to call you son was actually by giving his one and only beloved son to die a brutal death on a Roman cross for you and I that his blood would be shed, cleansing us of all of our sin, that he would hang there on that cross in our place for the punishment that we deserve because of our fault and because of our blame, he would take it and he would say, I'm going to give you my name. You are in Christ. You are renewed. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are covered once and for all, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your resume, no matter your history. For those of us who belong to Christ, his dear son, his dear son, he has purchased our freedom he has cleansed us with his blood. He's forgiven our sins and he showered us with kindness and grace. And so we praise him. And so we praise him for this because this didn't cost God nothing. It cost him everything, his very life, so that we could have life. And so this brings us to our communion moment. I'm going to invite up the band to come up at this time as we remember that God purchased our freedom. The word freedom here, it's to loose. It's the same word uh, as a wild animal being set free or a human being being freed from captivity to prison or slavery. We were loosed. We were, he, he purchased our freedom with his blood. And he didn't just set us free, but he forgave our sins. Forgiveness. You see, God could have just set us free. Okay, you're, you're justified. But he actually chooses to forgive us. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is right relationship with God. He gave us a right relationship, not just a right relationship of, of us to a friend or us to a neighbor or us to, to, to some, you know, but actually a relationship between a son, a daughter, and a father. He, he forgave us by shedding his blood. He released you of your guilt, your sin, your transgressions, and your iniquities. And he did this all so that we could be chosen to be children of God, adopted into the family, given his name, invited to the table, always included in family events, and here's why this changes your reality this week. Are you ready? <laughs> so you come to the table. Here's how this changes your reality. You don't need to strive anymore to be significant. You don't need to clamor for love and affirmation and attention. 
You don't need to question your position with God anymore. You can rest in who you are. Because we, as the people of God, we have been chosen to be children of God. And it changes absolutely everything. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. See how very much the Father loves us? For he calls us children. And that's who we are. That is who we are. And so as we come to the table, church, will we come to the table and will we receive this sacrifice? The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. The wafer represents his body which was broken for us. And as we come forward, we do not come forward as these just wicked and guilty and condemned sinners, but we walk forward as sons and daughters with our head held high. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that though I was far from you, you came close to me. Thank you, God, that you could have just abandoned me, but you chose me. Thank you, God, for this new reality. Thank you, God, for my new identity. And receive this today, knowing, fully knowing, with zero doubt, that you are sons and daughters. And so I want to pray for us. And we can come to the table. God, this, uh, this text rocked me this week. As someone who, at times, in the root down below, is just trying to seek affirmation and acceptance. And this text reminds me, and it reminds us, God, that irregardless of my past, or my yesterday, the mistakes that I made, God, you before the foundations of the world, you chose me. You adopted me. You brought me into a family. And you did that for us who believe. I want to pray for the person in this room who maybe has never made a decision to follow you, Jesus. And in this moment, they're saying, I, I need to be a daughter of God. I need to be a son of God. I need this. Lord, by your spirit right now, would you comfort them and surround them? Lord, as they walk to the table, would they walk to the table and as they take this blood and they, this, this juice and they take this wafer, God, would it be a symbolic nature that they've accepted this today for themselves and that they're welcome to the table, they're welcome to the family. For those of us that are striving and clamoring and chasing and we're sweating, trying to follow you, God, I pray as we come to the table, we would just have such an inner sense of peace that we're your kids, just the comfort of a child in the presence of their father. Thank you, God, for what you've done for us. We remember today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. 
you can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.